0: There's a big difference between resistance, like we talked about and misalignment. And I think I've been in situations before where I've been operating from a place of just not being fully aligned, but I didn't know what that felt like in my body. And so I would just force myself to do stuff because I just, I had a real negative mindset around my work ethic. And I would say, you're being lazy. You just need to work harder. Um, You know what to do, just do it. And, but I would just not in my body, it would feel heavy and closed off. And I would feel fatigue. I would have um, almost like ADD, like I couldn't focus. And I just, like, it wasn't exciting. It wasn't fun. And to me now, I know it was because I was I was operating out of alignment. What's up, babe? Welcome to Boldly Courageous, a podcast created for you, the ambitious woman who is ready to take action and step fully into the life you've always dreamed of. I'm your host, Melissa Martin, and each week I will be your virtual wingwoman as you gain the tools and confidence to face your fears head on. The time is now, and this is your permission slip to live your boldly courageous life. Are you ready, babe? Let's do this.
1: Today, I am joined with a very beautiful, special woman, Melissa Martin. Uh, who I recently got to connect with through our mutual friend, Brandon Collinsworth. Shout out to you, Brandon. And she was kind enough to have me on her podcast episode, and we recorded that a couple weeks ago. Um, by the time you listen to this, it will most likely have already been out. And if you haven't listened to that, go check that out. Go check her out. Uh, but she is a business coach for thought leaders, and she is the co-founder of Ladies Aligned Media, which is a platform for conscious media for Conscious leaders. Um, and I just love who she is, the way her mind works, and our conversations seem to flow so effortlessly. So, wanted to bring her on and talk about some of the things that entrepreneurs face, leaders face, and see where that conversation goes. So, without further ado, Melissa, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I cannot wait because I mean, if we just drop in right away. We're like, "Wait, <laughs> yeah. we need to record this." Right, <laughs> so it's right. gonna be fun. I'm excited. Awesome.
1: So, how did you get into the coaching aspect of things? What what pivot happened in your life where this mm-hmm. made sense for you?
0: Well, it certain certainly wasn't my plan, but it was, I guess, my destiny, if you will. I would. I had been working in the financial service industry for over fifteen years. My very first job, right out of high school, was at the credit union. I went on to get a degree in financial service management. I worked for the largest mutual fund company in the world and very successful A-type, number one on my sales team, all the things. And in 2012, I was working for a really small hedge fund company that let me work from home, which was great because home for me was a very small town in upstate New York. And um, about a year into my career, they restructured their entire company and I got laid off, which was something I never thought would ever happen. I wasn't planning for it. I'm too successful. You know, my ego was like, oh, it'll never happen. And, um, as a result of that, I had a really hard time finding another job that would pay me what I had been making because I was working from home. And so I'd either have to be down in New York city, which was two and a half hours away, or move back to Boston, which is where I had been prior. And so I kind of found myself in this, um, place of redirection We'll just call it that. It didn't mm-hmm. feel like it at the moment. It was kind of like a rock bottom where I ended up in multiple six figures of debt. I was I owed back taxes and money to the IRS. I thought I was gonna have to file for bankruptcy and I just, no one would give me a call back on any of the jobs I was applying for. So I got introduced to network marketing. I was very resistant to it at first, but I had great success on the products. People were asking me what I was doing and I looked at it as an in the meantime income source until I found a quote unquote real job. And, you know, network marketing for me was the thing that exposed me to personal development, to leadership development, to anything is possible when you try and this concept of entrepreneurship. And I, I was able to replace my income very quickly with, I wouldn't say minimal effort, but I wasn't hundred percent all in. Mm -hmm. and when i got to that point i just kind of asked myself why would i go back to working for somebody else when i clearly can generate income for myself here what would happen if i just went all in on this thing Mm -hmm. and so that's exactly what i did and so over the course of seven years i built a team of over five thousand people i earned well over a million dollars in income and in 2019 that company restructured its compensation plan and i lost Mm -hmm. all of my income in 60 days Wow. And so what was interesting about that was I was like, Oh, I've been here before we've done this. We did this in 2012. What's different. What did I miss? Cause this lesson is coming back around. So what did I not get the first time that I'm learning now? And instead of jumping to another company or going back to the corporate world I really had to sit with the path that felt the most aligned and yet the most uncomfortable and that was going 100% all in on me. So, I had been coaching people for 7 years through my company with mindset and leadership and business and I said, why would I why don't I just create my own coaching business? And so the end of 2019, I navigated out of a relationship. I had been married for seven years. I got divorced. I sold all my stuff, moved across the country to California, lost my network marketing income. And I went all in on my, my podcast. I went all in on my coaching and, you know, here I am today at, at 100%. It's all on me, my own brand, my own business. And, um, I'm so grateful for all of it. So yeah, that's the, mm. that's the very short story of yeah. how I got into coaching.
1: <laughs> a lot of ups and downs for yeah, sure. Yeah, of course. Uh, in, in your your time where you built your team up to 5,000, mm-hmm. what were some of those leadership skills that really helped you recruit and get buy-in from those that you wanted a part of your team?
0: Mm, yeah, such a good question. So I think the first was I had a very clear vision of what I was creating and the culture and the dynamic of what what people would be stepping into so I was able to really share that vision and say here's what we've created here's the team here's the culture here's the environment if that sounds good to you then let's talk about your vision Mm -hmm. and being able to help people really see what was true for them and meeting them where they're at I think great leaders can do a couple different things one I think they can have a clear vision for where they're going but they can also get really clear on where people are at and help them connect the dots you know, on what's possible. Cause I think mm-hmm. so many people just look at where they've been and they think that that's what they can have, mm-hmm. but they don't recognize the unknown. And I think a great leader can cast that vision.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I think that was number one. And I think the second thing was, I really, I feel like I'm a super empathetic person and I have a lot of compassion, but I also don't really get involved in a lot of people's excuses. So I can have compassion for your situation, but I can also, not get involved in your stories and your drama. And I I see that as a challenge for a lot of people in network marketing is that they just get too involved in people's excuses and too involved in their stories and live too much in the realm of potential and not in the realm of reality. Mm -hmm. And that can slow a lot of businesses, a lot of people down, even in Mm -hmm. relationships. Um, Yes, potential is great, but we got to look at what's happening here today in reality and, and make decisions from there.
1: Okay so I'm going to pull on a lot of those threads that you just said. So what I hear is clarity of vision and empathy. So let's start with vision. I think vis- vision is one of those clichés that's written in every personal development book possibly you could possibly think of. And I think people understand the importance of it, but they've heard it so many times and they may not be they've never been so clear on one that they don't really know the components of a vision but what i'm hearing from you is that there's a there's a direction that you want to head and i want to know how you painted that vision so you do that but then you also make sure that you're helping the person that you're wanting to be on your team find what their vision is and combine it with what your vision is is that Mm -hmm. what i'm hearing
0: yeah yeah i mean really when you're building a team, like you have your own personal vision for yourself and what you want for your life, but then there's, you know, the team almost has its own vision as well. Mm-hmm. And those two things can, I mean, we talked about this on, on our conversation, right? Those two things can live together, but it's important when you're making decisions that, you know, where the decision, like, what is the decision? What is the outcome of that decision? Like, what is it impacting? Is it a personal decision or is it a business decision? Um, and for me, when I, when it comes to vision, it starts with values. I need to know what my values are and get really, really clear on what's important for me in terms of a value system, because ultimately that's, what's driving the bus. Mm -hmm. Right. And so if my vision for myself is to live into my highest expression, to make an impact in the world, to have choices every single day, to live a life of freedom, Mm -hmm. those are all like, that's the vision for my life. Then my values are the container that I operate within. Right. So my values would be, um, health and fitness. Like my energy is my number one priority. Um, having a really great relationship with money and abundance um, being deeply connected to community, my outside of like health, I would put this in a different category is my spirituality and my connection to self, right? So these are some of my values. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. you drill it down a layer deeper is that what allows those values to exist is a set of boundaries that I've created around my life, which mm-hmm. impacts every decision that I make. So it's kind of a filtration system, mm-hmm. right? And so the same sort of, process can be applied to your business. Like what are your core values in your business? So for my team it was inclusivity, it was equal opportunity, right? It was, um, teamwork. Mm
2: -hmm. And
0: I mean, so those were a couple of the values of the business and that related to an overall vision of Mm -hmm. people being seen, people being heard, getting what they want out of life Mm -hmm. and really allowing them to define what success looks like. So my business is successful. When my team gets what they want, then we all get what we want. So that's kind of how I would like navigate between how to set the vision, the values that kind of drive that. And then you create boundaries around it every single day.
1: That makes sense. What's the difference do you think, or are they the same between vision and goals?
0: I think, vision is the overall picture mm-hmm. and goals are the little milestones that you set all along the way to kind of move the ball down the field to that mm-hmm. overall vision. And sometimes like vision is a little bit more malleable, right? Cause it can shift a little bit as mm-hmm. you evolve and grow, your values might change a little bit. So that vision can expand because when you set the original vision, you're looking through a lens of what's possible but then mm-hmm. you that can expand hey what's possible is actually even bigger and better than i thought so in order for that vision to come true we have to set these little micro goals that kind of move the bus down That's the road
1: right. yeah. cool i like it thank you for that yeah. uh going with empathy
0: mm-hmm.
1: how do you how do you what's your style of hearing someone's situation while also reminding them of the standard that they agreed to that they're not upholding.
0: Mm. Oh it has like I I (laughs) have it's it's hard because you have to so I think part of leadership again is not getting involved in someone's story and making it your responsibility. Mm -hmm. And especially in network marketing, it's a beautiful like cesspool of codependency. It's the perfect place. If you're a codependent person, become a network marketer or become a coach. And it will mirror back to the ways in which you want people to rely on you and you want to involve yourself in their stories and be the hero in their story. So it's a great learning experience for me to recognize, like I'm not the hero. I don't want to be the hero. I don't want that mm-hmm. responsibility. So one, being able to lead with love and compassion and really see people for where they're at and understand that their truth is their truth. And that story and the way that they feel about it and the excuses and the crutches that they think they have is their reality. And so acknowledging that is, I think, really important and inviting them into an opportunity or a container or conversation to choose something different. Mm -hmm. So it's just asking really great questions. Like what if you chose this or what would it look like if this were to happen Mm -hmm. and kind of like reverse engineering the process? Because where I see some people struggle with this is they just want to tell the person, here's what's possible for you, or here's Mm -hmm. what I see. Or if you do this, this, and this, then that will happen. And while that's great, if the person in that scenario doesn't come to that conclusion on their own, it's not as exciting. It's not as visceral and they're not as attached to it. Right. There's so not like as much ownership, no, right. It's like, here, I'll give you the roadmap, but wouldn't it be way cooler if you are the one that came up with the roadmap and then let me support you to that. Correct. And so it allows you as the leader to kind of detach from the process and say, okay, like you take ownership for this. I will support you through it. I'm responsible to you. I'm not responsible for you. It's your choice.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think earlier in my career, I definitely I like to look at it as this now frameworks versus formulas.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Where earlier in my career, it was a lot about giving formulas. It was about seeing people's patterns and saying, "Here is the answer." Mm, now, yes. when people ask me a question, I ask them a question.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <and> it's, like,
1: <laughs> it's providing a framework yes. so that they can and the space for them to work through what they're going through, so that they find the solution to their own problem. So good. And what that creates is independence, right? So there's less attachment and reliance on you because you are helping them become more of who they want to be. And then what that creates is confidence to be able to find solutions to future problems. And when you rob people of that opportunity, when you take away their ability through your care it's not like you're doing it maliciously but when you intervene on their struggle
2: mm.
1: you you take away their voice
2: mm-hmm.
1: you you squeeze out all of their their greatness rather than cultivating it and bringing it to life and and so i think what you're talking about is something that a lot of leaders need to lean into more mm-hmm. uh, some some problems that i see or some challenges that i see with leaders is they're so pressed for time, mm. that when people come to them for things, they just, for sake of getting it out of the way and done, will just give answers, right? Because yeah. I got to get back to doing this. And it's like, yeah. I understand that because, you know, maybe this, this conversation with your employee isn't highest priority right now. You also need to understand that when, if they become reliant on you giving them the answers, you're actually wasting time now and in the future if you were to just schedule time to invest in them now, you're buying future time, Yes. right? Yes. And, yes. and it was such a, a revolutionary thing for me. And then when I share that with leaders, they're like, oh my gosh, that is so true.
0: Yeah, and you know where this shows up to? Relationships, <laughs> so much fun. Like I'll share this quick story with you. So, you know, we, and I'm sure you've, you've probably experienced this with your beautiful wife that like people come into your life to teach you shit right oh, like, yeah. all the time and um I really attracted my ex-husband for a specific reason he's amazing like I have a lot of love and respect for him no no like drama there but um you know our uh relationship came to an end like it was meant to and we moved on but I have a lot of codependent tendencies that I've just learned as a as a woman that's just how I'm built and my need to want to help is a blessing and a curse right i think it's one of the reasons why people get into coaching they just love to help people but there's a fine line between enabling yes and disempowering and then like actually coaching someone into their fullest potential and so um we got to this point in our relationship where i was really resentful because i felt like i was doing everything and i think a lot of women do this they're like oh my god like why won't he do this he won't do that like i'm doing everything and well because because you set the standard to do everything. Right. So Mm -hmm. I'll give you an example. So my, my husband, my ex-husband walked into the kitchen one day and he put a hundred dollars down on the kitchen counter and he said, Hey, can you Venmo this money to my sister? And I like had to pause for a second. I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to take this hundred dollars, go to the bank, deposit it, get my phone out, pull the Venmo app up, and then get involved in a money exchange transaction that I have nothing to do with. It's between him and her. And like, would it have been a simple thing yes and the reason why he wanted me to do it because he didn't know how to use venmo and so i said no i won't do that for you and he was like why i'm like because because you are perfectly capable of doing it and i believe in you and he's like i don't know how to use it i don't have the app on my phone i was like well it's really easy you download it and if you need help i will help you but i'm not going to like get involved he was really upset with me but in that example, like it was my awareness of saying, if I don't teach, give him the opportunity to learn and fail, he's never going to have confidence in who he is. And that was, you know, at that point, like the story of our marriage was he didn't feel confident in who he was because I was continually robbing him of the opportunity to learn and fail forward. So so
1: true. Yeah. And I think sometimes in relationships, people try and see what they can get away with.
0: Oh, for sure. You know? And like, if
1: you don't put <laughs> up a fight, then they're going to be like, cool.
0: Thanks. And
1: yeah. And in, and in that moment, you were just like, no. And he's yeah. like, oh, wait, wait. So you're you're not going to do it, you know? And yeah. then that, that, like you said, gives them the opportunity to learn a new skill, to think a different way, to uh, appreciate something else, you know? And I think if we can be more mindful of moments like that, then we only can strengthen our relationship. Yeah, it may cause tension in that moment because maybe someone's so used to things going their way and then in that moment it doesn't, mm. but it will course correct eventually. And if mm. that communication stays regular, then that's a healthy way of working through it in, in with both sides involved. You know? Yeah,
0: and I'm, I'm curious, like for you right now, I mean, I know your son is still super yeah. young, but I would imagine this would be, something that would come up as we're parenting right because there's more than one way to do something so as you know for you like what how do you feel this is showing up as a parent like how to teach him the right way you know or to not do everything for him you have to have a lot of patience oh yeah to wait for him to navigate through his process
1: yeah so um do you know who Jordan Peterson is right
0: the name sounds really familiar yeah, he's a
1: professor out of Toronto he he's pretty big in like uh on YouTube and has some great videos, but he's a professor of psychology. And he will regularly break down Disney movies from a oh. Carl Young psychological standpoint. It's actually really I
0: cool. I really want to like yeah. I I know what I'm doing tonight.
1: <laughs> oh, and it's a binge, it's a binge thing. You'll go down a deep dark rabbit hole. But it's worth it. Anyways, In those breakdowns, one of the things that he noticed in all Disney movies is that their parents, the parents of these princesses will do everything in their power to keep them from evil. So they'll lock them in castles. They'll rob them of them going out on their own and experience life. And what that creates is a naivety of, of, of real danger. And as a parent, as I'm figuring out, you don't want your child to experience pain yeah you want to protect them you don't want them to cry for too long you don't want you want them to feel loved right and and I'm I'm keeping in my mind very actively and I try to remind myself regularly of this it's like and and he obviously he's only 10 months so I'm proactively thinking (laughs) about this but when he gets older like I don't want to I don't want him to think that I'm always going to be there
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Right. And, and when he's struggling, I want him to struggle. Obviously, if it's past a a detrimental point, I'm going to step in, of course, but there is value in experiencing pain and struggle. There's Mm -hmm. lessons in there that will last a lifetime. And if I, if I quote unquote, care so much for him that I step in, he doesn't learn. And then yes. what happens if I'm no longer on this earth? Then what? Then who's mm-hmm. gonna show him? You know. And so uh, that's my thinking about how I'm going to raise Aiden. And um, you know, we have this. We, Amanda is so good at being proactive with teaching him things at milestones. We go to these jamboree spots where he's learning how to climb things and pick things up, and it's so cool to see his mind work and and his skills like every day something new. So she's really good at that. And uh I try to support her in all of those ways and and so we're just at the stage now where we're how many experiences can we get him accustomed to?
2: Yeah. Right?
1: Social interaction is so important for babies and now with covid it makes it really challenging to do anything like that. And so we're with precautions definitely making sure that we put him in as many environments as possible so that mm-hmm. he's not isolated. He needs to see the world, feel the world, uh, be touched by the world, right? Like he needs to feel that. And so, um, that's our current strategy for Mm. how we're parenting.
0: I love that. I, what's so interesting is I, I, um, I kind of joke in my group of girlfriends that I'm like responsible spice, like I have all the spice girls. I'm like responsible spice. (laughs) And it's really because like what you were saying of like, Genuine love and care for my friends, and I don't want to see them get hurt, right? And I lived with my best friend all through 2020 and her four-year-old daughter, and I was in a constant state of anxiety and panic most of the time because I was afraid for her safety. And um, I would witness some of these moms being very blasé about it, and and like especially around the pool, and I just I couldn't like. I would have a hard time actually like regulating my nervous system. Mm. And it really helped me to see like, wow, like why are you in such a state of fear for other people's experiences and safety? And so I follow this woman on Instagram, her name's Amanda Francis and she um, lives with her boyfriend and, and his two kids. And she's always posting videos of them running around the pool and, and I'm like, these kids are going to get hurt. But it's, again, it's like, to your point of like, they're going to fall down. Yes. How, like, so you can either, um, you can either put the idea of fear in their minds or let them, have that experience in a safe container and then be there as a loving support after and then they've learned the lesson right obviously Mm -hmm. like you said within their within their um safety confines but yeah it's been an interesting experience to notice where my mind goes and so i can't i'm like okay yeah i don't know i don't know if parenting (laughs) is for me i might have a breakdown (laughs)
1: Yeah, definitely tests you for sure every day. Have you heard of the biodome experiment? Have I told you about this?
0: Mm -mm. Maybe you have, but refresh my memory. Okay,
1: so in aside from it being a really uh, cheesy movie that no one should should probably ever see, in the nineteen eighties, I believe there was an experiment to try and create the perfect environment for plant life and humans to live. So they built this biodome that was control, temperature control regulated. It had the right amount of soil, uh, perfect ingredients for, for any plant from any region to be able to grow and for humans to be able to live in this thing, right? And so the the experiment begins and the process goes on and these trees and bushes start growing. And they're like, cool, we, this is awesome, we found this. And then what they noticed is after a certain point The trees stopped growing. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Let's just call it 8, 10 feet. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Wouldn't grow higher. Mm -hmm. And then they started realizing that the the trees started bowing. Like they started bending over. And they're like, what the hell is going on? Mm -hmm. And the thing that they forgot in the biodome was wind.
0: Yeah, wind.
1: Because when wind blows trees, it drives the roots deeper into the ground so that when the tree grows, it's supported. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so good because what do we do in our life? We try to make it so perfect. We try to create this biodome where nothing happens. We don't want turbulence. We don't want to be knocked down. We don't want wind, but if you don't have wind or you don't have struggle or you don't have a uh, challenge, then your roots metaphorically will not grow deep into the ground so you can withstand hurricanes and storms and all of these things that we're so afraid of, like the only way to get through that is to go through it. It's
0: like resistance builds strength, right? Like literally I was with my trainer this morning cursing at him, but like resistance builds strength, right?
1: Right. And so if we could just think about challenge mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. you know, and, and release some of the fear that comes from the failure or the embarrassment and really just focus more so on the process and, the strengthening of our roots, then that, that perspective can open up opportunities for us to lean in more often, which leads to honing our craft more, getting better results, creating more impact, becoming a better leader. All these things begin to emerge when the consistency is there over realizing what's happening when you're actually doing the work.
0: Right. I mean, every great story starts with, so this happened to me, <laughs> right? <laughs> sure. So this terrible thing happened right. and now look at where I am, right?
1: Yeah. Think of all the movies you love. What happens in the plot? You're like, oh right. my gosh, I can't believe they went through that. And then they go through it. And it's like right. the hero's journey.
0: Plot twist is the best thing that could ever happen to you, right? <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. So what, what's been fresh on your mind recently as far as, you know, working with your clients? What are some things that you're seeing that you've really been thinking about pondering and have just been, man, I really want to understand that at a deeper level.
0: Yeah. So it's interesting. I have a lot of, um, women in network marketing that come to me and they're like, you know, I, I love my company. I love my leaders, but something's not clicking for me. It just doesn't feel like I don't feel fully connected and I'm not fully showing up. And I'm feeling this myself in my own business of like, I can't quite some, it's like a few notches off, like something is not, it's not quite a hell yes anymore. And I think that, um, you know, this idea of like giving yourself permission to ask different questions or explore something new feels scary because mm-hmm. maybe you've put um, some stock in what other thought leaders or people that have had more experience than you say or do, um, especially for some of the clients that I support in network marketing, like there's a system to follow and there's a leadership team to follow. And so if you stray from that, that like, what's on the other side of that, there's maybe difficult conversations, or you're going to let someone down. Um, and it could be in anything you could be wanting to, um, maybe you want to have children and your partner doesn't, and you've never talked about that before, or, uh, maybe you graduated with a law degree, but you want to be a chef. Like, it's just these this like texture of something feeling out of alignment, like this mm-hmm. idea of, of misalignment and kind of exploring exploring the nuances and the difference between am I really operating from a place of not fully in alignment or is this just me resisting showing up to the vision that I originally had?
2: Mm-hmm. And so
0: those are the I'm navigating that myself, and I think it's interesting sometimes um, I find that i manifest clients into my life that are experiencing some of the similar things that i'm experiencing which is interesting you know mm-hmm. um but it also gives us an opportunity to kind of navigate through it together and through their experience i learn as well yeah, right so that's kind of what's coming up yeah. for me right now
1: i think a lot of people feel that regularly daily maybe weekly maybe yeah. yearly right like and especially if you're growing so fast the there's a lot of uncertainty or unknowns that can present themselves that then prompt Mm. these types of feelings or questions. What, what comes up for me when you say that is when to, when to lean in, even though it doesn't fully feel aligned, right? Like, am I, is this just a phase of me not wanting to do the work?
2: Mm.
1: Or is it me having done so much of the work no longer want to do the work in this area.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's a big difference between resistance, like we talked about and misalignment. And I think I've been in situations before where I've been operating from a place of just not being fully aligned, but I didn't know what that felt like in my body. And so I would just force myself to do stuff because I just, I had a real negative mindset around my work ethic. And I would say, you're being lazy. You just need to work harder. Um, You know what to do, just do it. And, but I would just not in my body, it would feel heavy and closed off. And I would feel fatigue. I would have um, almost like ADD, like I couldn't focus. And I just like, it wasn't exciting. It wasn't fun. And to me now I know it was because I was i was operating out of alignment like if, if when i'm when you're in alignment with something
2: mm-hmm.
0: the vision is still there like you're so you know the vision it's clear what you want but how you get there can shift
2: mm-hmm. and
0: if you're so anchored into how it's supposed to look you can start showing up in a way that's out of alignment with who you really are you know so yes. for example I just wrapped up, um, I do group coaching every quarter and it's it's called Excel, group coaching. And the first round that I just did this last year, the way I was selling it and who I was calling in was like, okay, these are business-minded people. They wanna focus on one goal for the next 90 days and we're gonna do strategy and all that, which is great. I love a good strategy. And I'm so excited to show up and serve in this way, but something was a couple notches off. And when it came time to launch, I was like, this is a no for me. Like, this doesn't feel good. I don't want to do this. I want to do this, but I don't want to do it this way. Mm-hmm. Right. So the vision was still clear, Got it. but how I was executing it didn't feel like a hell yes in my body. And so the old me would have just hustled through it. Me now says, Man. this is, I'm out of alignment. Yeah. So let pause. me, yeah, let me just sit with this for a little bit. Does it have to be launched on this day? No. I can move it. I have the right to choose to shift this if I want to. So I had to really sit with it. And what I'm being called to is to go a little bit deeper into the feminine, the embodiment practices Mm -hmm. of the manifestation piece and the alignment piece of like helping women get into alignment and then go execute. And so I was in the shower and like all the downloads came because that's where I get my ideas. And I was like, oh, and then it felt like a hell yes. It was expansive and exciting and felt creative. And it felt like a yes versus before it was a no. So that for Mm. me is how I know when I'm operating out of alignment, resistance shows up completely different resistance is it's a hell yes in my body. And what if it doesn't work? What if people don't like me? What if somebody else is doing it? What if, what if it's like resistance is like, I know I'm going to do it, but I'm Mm -hmm. scared of who I'm going to have to become and the process. And what if it doesn't work out? And so we avoid doing the work because we're afraid of the unknown of what's on the other side, two very different like textures, right? So resistance for me will show up as saying yes to everything. So my calendar is so full that I don't have energy to do the thing that is really hard, you know, Mm -hmm. or like (laughs) Mm -hmm. manifesting drama in my life or getting involved in other people's stories and their life so that I don't have energy to focus on my own. So,
1: right. Yeah. Right. That's kind of where I'm at right now. (laughs) Okay. I like that. I like that shift and that uh, distinction between Mm -hmm. the resistance and the misalignment. That's, that's helpful. Um, I'm curious with the so the, the, the misalignment, there's like, there's two pieces to it. Mm. One is, is this something that does the vision need to change, so to speak?
2: Yes. Right. Because
1: yes. this area, this direction that I'm heading, I'm no longer feeling it. That, that's one area. And then there's, if the vision is still the same, but mm. the the next step doesn't feel right, mm-hmm. then that's when you got to look at changing the step, changing the approach, being flexible on the destination while still being firm on, or yeah, being flexible on the journey while still remaining firm on the destination. That's what I'm around, right? Yeah. And I
0: I experienced this when I was in network marketing. So like the last couple of years I was building, I was making great money, but I was feeling like I was being called to serve in a bigger way, but Mm -hmm. I had this belief that, um, I couldn't, Right. So staying in that container for me felt out of alignment. Mm -hmm. But the vision of how I wanted to impact lives was still the same. I just wasn't giving myself a container that was big enough. Right. Mm -hmm. I was kind Mm -hmm. of keeping myself in that container. And it's kind of like what we were talking about earlier is like sometimes you have this vision and then you realize that it can actually be bigger. Yes. But for whatever reason, maybe you're afraid that okay if i do step into this next version of me like what will people think or who will i leave behind or like whatever and that can be a little bit of like resistance and so you stay out of alignment operating in this way that's not your full potential and i experienced that and the universe said are you going to keep doing this right okay so let me just remove this obstacle for you (laughs) it took my network marketing business away you
1: know (laughs) what's harder in that area is it the changing of the vision or the changing of the next step
0: i feel like i mean they're both super challenging i think totally. the, the, i i think the shifting of the vision is harder honestly mm-hmm. because for me sh- a shift in vision requires a much bigger shift in yeah. embodiment and evolution i agree right like a shift in your goals or a shift in your process or a shift in the way that you show up can feel uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but a shift in vision, like there's like an
2: know,
1: identity piece there.
0: It's an identity piece. It's like, Oh man. Yeah. I have to be that now. Right. I ha- that, that means I have to do that. I have to show up this way.
1: Yeah. It's like, uh, it's yeah, like a professional yeah. athlete, you know, that for so long, the vision has been to win championships. And then when they retire, then it's like, well, what now? Right. I was, I was an athlete. I am an athlete. What do athletes do after they can't play, you know, and then they have to shift out of it or Mm -hmm. someone who has their identity built into a company or an industry that they're no longer feeling or wanting. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, but, but I'm a financial guy, not a, you know, uh, an inventor or a salesman, or, you know, there's like, we get caught up in these labels that mm. we get so used to saying, or we get so used to hearing from other people saying to us. Yes. That, and we find value in it because it makes us feel important, unique, yes. uh, connected. Uh, It gives us certainty that we're making a difference. Maybe there's growth there. So there's a lot of needs Mm
2: -hmm. being
1: met by holding on to that identity. And so I don't blame people for not wanting to let that go because it's addicting. Yes. Right. I
0: experienced that when I lost my job because I had placed so much of my value on achieving in that space. And when I couldn't get another job, it was like, what is my worth if I'm not hireable and I had placed so much value on my achieving through what I earned and achieving through hitting my goals every year and being number one and like winning awards. And so that was, who am I without that? Mm -hmm. And being redirected into network marketing gave me an opportunity to look at the vision for my life in a way that was so much more expansive because before that, it was like, you're going to climb the corporate ladder. You're going to continue to achieve. Maybe you'll go into management, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I, I never knew that I could look outside that box Yeah. and that can feel like really scary. Yeah. Right. But yeah, when I got into network marketing, like, Oh, I can, I can make a bigger impact. And so mm-hmm. my vision shifted but it required me to grow into that vision. You know, it's like the fish bowl analogy. Like if you put a fish in a small bowl, that's its environment. But when you put it in a bigger bowl, like the vision can grow and you can feel like a very small fish in a very big pond, but eventually you're going to grow into that and the vision can evolve over time. I love that. Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: While you were talking, I wanted to ask you something. I hope it comes back to me. it was like uh damn it no nope. <laughs> hopefully it'll come back um i was like hold on to that but be present
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know, I, know.
2: <laughs> I
1: hate that situation
0: <laughs> i know sometimes i have a little notepad and i'm like i don't want to be rude and like look down you know yeah
1: yeah <laughs> that that would be helpful um okay so i i think that that that, that helps me Cause I feel very similar to that with the identity piece and mm-hmm. and the hard work mm-hmm. that it takes. And I think people really need, and that's, that's the reason that's the importance of li- listening to episodes like this, right. And, and journaling yeah. and doing the work and having coaches in your life. Cause they can offer you that perspective. You can't necessarily see the label when you're in the jar, you know? And so true. a coach can show you a mirror and they can be like, dude, you think you ketchup, but you're mustard. <laughs> you know, oh, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, no Wait, wonder I why!"
0: I am. I'm so much more great than I thought I was. Yeah,
1: geez, <laughs> so funny.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, yeah, so
0: yeah, I'm grateful. yeah. You know, it's interesting. Um, one of the most like rewarding parts of being in the coaching industry, whatever, to whatever capacity you are, is that exactly what you just said? Like you think you're ketchup, but you're really mustard is that when your clients come to you and you see them through the lens of their potential Mm -hmm. and what's possible almost their higher self. Right. And so it's really, um, I guess, easy for you to guide them through that process or help them step into, you know, that vision. But when you're on the other side of it, like you're looking through the lens of all of your limiting beliefs, all your doubts, all your fears, every failure you've ever had. So you, it's so hard to see that path, yeah. even though you can see it for someone else, but to be able to see it for yourself, you're looking through a very different lens. And that's why I just, I, I'm always such an advocate for having great mentors in your life or friends that can have those conversations with you, that can pour life into you, that can help you see that you're actually not ketchup, up your mustard or whatever, right. you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: Like the, the more coaches I have in different areas of my life, the better I do. Right. Mm. So in 2021 so far, currently I have five coaches in different areas, one in spirituality, one in physicality, uh, one in mentality, another in financial area, like, I'm equipping myself understanding that there's only a certain amount of time in the day and I'm leveraging people's expertise and time and dedication to their craft and infusing it with what I know so that Mm -hmm. I'm more equipped to serve. And like that shift takes some humility to know that um, you're not going to be great at everything. (laughs) And you have to be real with yourself with that. like. You as as much as I want to be great and memorable and legendary at X Y and Z, yeah. There's just there's only enough time, and yeah. so you have to kind of lean into what comes naturally in a sense, while also shaping other things that can support those natural kind of elements. Mm. And, and through that, that's what, hap- in my opinion, well, that's what develops mastery. And I know that. Over the course of my life, there have been things that I have been really good at through the repetitive practice of doing it. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: when I lean more into that, that's when I feel the best. That's when I impact the most. And it doesn't mean I close myself off to other areas where I'm not growing, but it also means that these are gifts that I was given. And how do I continue to lean into those and make those even bigger so that the impact is larger. And, uh, that's been a big shift for me.
0: Yeah. I, I love this. I was in a mastermind and, um, we had a guest speaker come in and and share kind of like his process, right? How did he make a billion dollars in real estate in 2020 working like four hours a week, something insane like that. And the one thing that he said that like, I think about as I'm scaling, right. Every entrepreneur wants to grow um, is he said, I only do the things in my company that only I can do Mm -hmm. and I outsource everything else. And so only I can teach the way I teach. Only I can do podcast interviews. Only I can do these types of things. And I outsource everything else to experts that can do it way better than I can, or that can do it for less because my time is worth this. And it just, I think when you're growing a business, like that's the, that's the decision-making process that we were talking about earlier is like, am I making this choice based on what's best for me? Or am I making this choice based on what's best for the company, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, navigating that um, fine line of when to outsource things and mm-hmm. checking the ego. Cause like the ego might say, you can do this. You don't need somebody to help you. Like you should figure this out on your own versus like the easy way is like, let me just hire the expert that can compress time and helping me get to where I need to go. And so, um, I think in entrepreneurship in in general, like that's a hard shift to make because most of us just bootstrap everything on our own in the very beginning. And so we have to kind of rethink that process. Um, and I also, um, like outside of the container of of business, that it's not always easy to ask for help. So I'm curious, like, how has that process been for you? Like, bringing these people into your life, like, was was there some stickiness around that? Were any one of those areas a little bit harder for you to say, okay, I need help? Yeah, hundred
1: percent, hundred percent. Asking, for... how do I say that? Asking for help requires you to say that you can't get to where you want to get by yourself.
2: Mm -hmm. And and there's
1: a sobering feeling to that because you know that you, you have to admit that you can't do it. Whether it's time or, or knowledge or whatever, you can't do it. Mm. And if you're living in ego regularly, which, I think a lot of people are myself included you it's hard to say yep i need a coach um and so i was operating in that mindset for a long time until it got to a point where i i just i couldn't do anything out outside of what i was already doing and i i hit a limit i hit a cap Mm. i hit the the ceiling Mm. and then hiring a coach shattered that ceiling And I was like, Oh my gosh, this would have been so much easier if I just got out of my own head and just asked, Yeah. (laughs) you know? And so now that, that, that beginning, that, that first shattering of the ceiling opened, then it, then it said, well, where else in my life am I operating subpar or average that I want to elevate physically? All right. Yeah. Let's do that. Who, what do I want to learn? And so I hired someone that could teach me boxing. Mm boxing helps me mentally, helps me emotionally. It helps me channel things. Yeah. Spirituality. I want to understand that more. I want to broaden my perspective to understand the world and find a deeper meaning. hundred percent. Who do I respect? Who does that really well? Uh, This person does reaching out to her. Hey, I need some help with this, or I want to explore this. Mm -hmm. What do you think? And then as a result of that, then I get these upgrades and these downloads and these fine tunes, you know, and, and now I'm Feeling almost like a uh <laughs> and you know I don't know if you watched Power Rangers when you were younger, and I've never used this analogy before, but this is what's popping in my head, <laughs> you know when like all the the power Rangers morphed into their like little wolf or uh crane and they all formed that megatron yeah. or whatever yeah. like that's what I picture what you feel like yeah with all these coaches, right? Like I have all these yeah. a- aspects of myself through the help of them sharpening it in me. Yeah. Now I feel like this grand, uh, being that can serve powerfully in a lot of different areas. Um, so it's been a game changer, Right. but I remember what I was going to say from uh, earlier. Oh, yay. Yeah. Uh, so I think a lot of people, at least myself, uh, we we kind of get into our career or getting to the thing that we want, very focused on money and superficial things and accolades and titles, because we want to prove ourselves worthy, or we want to show people that, hey, we know what we're talking about, or I deserve to be in this room, or I deserve to have that position. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of drives, it drove me to get to where I am. And then once you get those things, and there's a shift, hopefully for me, there was, where it was like, it's not about those things as much as it is about the process. You gotta fall in love with the process. And so that shift has been really helpful. My question is, do you think that people need to go through the proving phase in order to realize the improving phase?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, my, my first initial answer to that is yes. I think we all have to go through that. It's kind of like all the things we've learned and then we're like have to unlearn everything. It's the, that's just life. Right. Yeah. And I think it starts from a super young age of like, when we're little, we don't have to prove anything to anyone. We just are great. Cause we're great. Mm-hmm. We're great because we choose to be, cause we just show up that way. We're uninhibited. We don't, you know, like when you see children, they are in their highest expression all the time.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And. At some point, this idea of um, a ranking system comes into play, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's on the playground or in the household and grading systems and hierarchies and Mm -hmm. awards and placements come into play. And so now our little brains start to go, okay, well, in order for me to be respected, I got to run faster than everybody on the playground. By my peers, right. In order for me to be accepted, I have to look and act a certain way. And so we, we learn all this stuff. And that's what we've been taught. I mean, we've been taught that from kindergarten, first place, second place, third place, A's, B's, and C's. Like, if you're not achieving, you're not winning, you're not producing, you're not valuable. Right. And so I think that that's the, that is the guidance system that we've been taught. Yeah. Versus you know, we're not taught the guidance system of how does this feel in your body? And is this a yes for you? Like the real guidance system Mm -hmm. is erased. And I don't think it's until we get to a point where we realize what we're truly seeking isn't found in the external rating system. Right? Because once we get all that, we're like, I still don't feel like Mm -hmm. I used to when I was a kid. So how do I get back to that? Right. You know, I think I feel like yeah, we have to go through that process of learning what's not real, so we can get back to unlearning. Yeah. To find the truth.
1: So from sense. a so the, the what prompted that question is I was listening to an interview with Kobe Bryant and one of the interviewers was asking him, what was what motivated you earlier in your career? And he was like, winning. I wanted championships. And and then there came a point where it was it wasn't about the winning. It was about how can I make the team around me better? Mm. Right. And it was about the work and it was about the process. And I love that. I think that that's a Mm. great realization and obviously one of the best to ever play. Um, really cool to see that transition, but would he have had that realization if he didn't first operate in the winning? Right. And, and so Is the, is that mindset of, I got to win, I got to make more money. I got to do, is that, is that essential? Is that necessary? Is that mandatory in order to get to the realization where it's like, that's not what it's about. That's my first question. And then from a coaching perspective, if you, let's say you were coaching Kobe Bryant, right? Do you tell him about that? (laughs) Or do you just honor that that's what drives him at that time and, and slowly drip out like, Hey, it's not about the winning. It's about the process. Like, you know what I mean?
0: Hmm. I guess if it were me, I'd want to know what, what belief system was driving the need to win. Like Mm -hmm. what belief have you assigned to winning? What value have you placed on that? Is it about the win? Because just because you win doesn't mean you're great. It just means that whoever you're competing against wasn't as good as you. Right. So I don't know. I would, I would challenge him to say there's more to learn in losing than there is in winning, because if Mm -hmm. you win at everything, there's no resistance. I I mean, I know for me, I've learned a lot more through my failures, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm using air quotes. Than I have from my wins, and I would rather go up against someone who's quote unquote, better than me so that I can sharpen my skills than constantly be coming in first place because mm-hmm. no one is stretching me. So there's for like i would I would challenge his beliefs around what drives you to win. What is it about the win? Because mm-hmm. it's really, I think the more important thing is what is is the belief behind it? Like, yeah. does winning mean that I'm excelling in my skill set? Or does winning mean that I set the bar for everybody else? Does willing mean that I put it all out in the field? Like, what does that win mean to you? And where is Mm -hmm. it coming from? What's the intention behind it, right? Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: Intention's everything, right? So if the intention is to, you know, I wanna be famous because I wanna make a lot of money because I never had anything, and you know i'm constantly operating from a place of fear and lack and scarcity and not never was never loved was never cared for and so this win finally shows me that i'm important well then maybe there's some things to dig into right Mm -hmm. but if the win is about maybe setting the example and showing other people what's possible and that when you work hard you can achieve like that's a different frequency right so i would yeah i would dive into the beliefs
1: yeah i like that the intention is everything And one is one, if if the winning mindset is based off of, I want the acceptance. And the only way I feel acceptance is if I win, that's a very short lived strategy. Whereas the process is much more long-term.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but the other argument could be, well, if he didn't think like that, what if he had won as much, right? Like that, that, that's what I think about too. And And I don't know. I don't expect an answer, but I just think it's like it's interesting to think about because one of the other things that he says is you have you can channel the villain so that you can be the hero. Mm.
2: You know, you
1: can you can embrace the darker elements of competition and dominance and anger and frustration, all of that to fuel Mm. your work to be better. Yes. and therefore find your hero yes um so i don't know it's interesting yes
0: well and in that regard the byproduct of one it's me versus me and one mm-hmm. percent better every single day and channeling all of that the byproduct of that is winning mm-hmm. right so again is it about the process mm-hmm. or is it about the end goal I think if you are focusing on the process and continually asking yourself, what are my strengths? What are my areas of opportunity? Am I investing in my growth? Am I bringing in all of these coaches, like what you just said, then the byproduct of that eventually is mastery, which Mm -hmm. one would assume would lead you to becoming a champion. Right, right.
1: Right, yeah, fascinating.
0: Yeah, (laughs) what comes first, the chicken or the egg? I don't know. The age old question.
1: Right. And, and why does it have to be, or what if it's and
0: maybe they came at the same time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's a, that's another thing that I like as, as uh, a coach or just as leaders, really effective ones will, um, reframe things, right? Like everyone's presenting a frame in which they see the world and very effective communicators know how to understand that frame and shift it. Yeah.
0: I heard from um, Seth Madison. He is um, does a lot of work in forecasting. He's considered the futurist, so he works with large organizations to help them forecast like what could potentially happen in business. And he was talking about different um, paradigms that people operate within when it comes to their business. And one of the things that he was sharing was this the um, most successful, businesses or entrepreneurs think like a scientist. And so the importance of this is when you start thinking like a scientist, you have a theory and then you test it, but you're not attached to the results. And so you can make better decisions because you're testing theories, Mm -hmm. you're not attached to a particular outcome. And so it's kind of like what you were saying is like, asking better questions or looking at this through a different lens or having a hypothesis or being curious about mm-hmm. what would happen if I did this or I did that. And um, he was talking about some study that they did. I believe it was like in Europe, I'm obviously paraphrasing, but they brought a hundred entrepreneurs together to work on their businesses. And the only thing they, they split them into two groups, 50 and 50. And the only thing they did to one group was say to them, think like a scientist. And that was it. And that group like performed like 80 X what the other group did in -hmm. terms of revenue in their business, because they planted that seed. And so, yeah, I think it's like, we get so attached, like we were talking about earlier to, it has to look this way that Mm -hmm. we rob ourselves of the magic of, wouldn't it be cool if, or what's a different way, or let me test this and see what can happen.
1: Well, the scientist doesn't associate failure in the experiment to him being a failure as a scientist.
0: Right. Exactly. Right. It's just like, feedback.
1: Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a, it's an experiment. It's, it's a test. I'm curious. Let's try it. Oh, wow. That definitely didn't work out. Okay, cool. Now we know yeah. let's move on. And it's yeah. more of a game than anything.
2: Yeah. Right. And,
1: and so I love that like putting the scientist hat on, um, because then everything, everything is testable. Everything is, is ever expanding. And the cool thing about science is, um, you could always improve it. You can always study something else. And
2: yeah,
0: isn't that our original nature to begin with again, like taking it back to, you know, the childhood analogy, like aren't children just mad scientists or, you know, love little love scientists, like just Mm. trying to test things out. And okay, I didn't get the response I wanted there. So let me try something different. And that didn't get the response. So let me try this. Right. You know, and they're constantly testing their environment to figure out what's going to get them the desired result. Yeah. And then once they get that result, they repeat, they repeat, they repeat, you know?
1: Right. And and they're also codifying what they're doing. Yeah. Right. They're like, I have a theory. Let's try this. Oh, that, that did work. Okay. What did I do? Yes. What, how much of what, you know, <laughs> liquid that I yeah. put in that liquid. Ah, oh, that okay. So yeah. three drops of this, yes. five drops of that creates yeah. this result. Awesome. So then it becomes replicatable,
2: mm-hmm. and
1: so anyone can learn it through the intentionality of the scientist wanting to make something repeatable. Yeah, that's cool. I like that.
0: Yeah, yeah. and this is how little kids know how to manipulate people. <laughs> the most beautiful way we've taught them how to be how to manipulate us i see it with my niece all the time i'm like she'll ask her mom something and her mom will say or she'll ask me something and i'll give her one answer and she'll be like i didn't like that answer so she'll go ask her mom you know like stuff like that so
1: 100 like yeah. aiden aiden has different cries right now you mm-hmm. know one's like an annoyed yeah. cry one's like mm-hmm. a, oh i fell I'm, I'm hurt cry the other is i'm a hungry cry and so I'm learning the distinctions between those cries, but one of them is a manipulative cry. It's like, I just want, I want what I want and I don't want what you're giving me.
2: Oh, so, yes. yeah. It's like,
1: uh, no, you're going to have that. Um, you know, you can't like, you got to teach <laughs> like him early yeah. that he can't get away with just by throwing a fit, you know? Yeah. He's trying to so negotiate. It's interesting. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Damn. So, so as we wind down here, what are some last minute things that you would like to share with the audience or any nuggets that have been helpful for you maybe over the last year as we've navigated some pretty uncertain times and um, what, what, what would really hit home based off what we've talked
2: about?
0: Coming back to this idea of alignment is just operating less from the neck up And trying to think our way through things and really operating more from the neck down and feeling what feels true for us in our body. I think, you know, we live in a world right now where we are told what to think, told what to do, told what to feel. We're overstimulated by so much and the wisdom of our body will guide us. And it kind of goes back to what I was sharing before about, you know, when something feels out of alignment, like you can feel that in your body. Mm -hmm. versus Mm -hmm. when something feels like a heck yes, or it feels expansive. Like you can also feel that. And I think for me, the past year has been a a process of like refining that Mm -hmm. intuition and Mm -hmm. making decisions from that place. And to an extent, putting it through a filtration process like, okay, if we do make this decision, like can I take this out a few steps and like prepare myself for that? Because ultimately, like if I ignore it, I'm going to be in even more pain, right? Right. So which is the less of the two pain. Like I can follow my intuition and have this difficult conversation. It's going to hurt, but on the other side is this, or I can continue to ignore it and live in this and pick your pain, right? To get to your pleasure. So just tune in to the wisdom of your body. Like have those moments of, solitude and quietness with yourself with your breath every single day um because this is ancient wisdom Mm
2: -hmm. like
0: that like how to hack the matrix is to just get quiet with yourself and tap into your own intuition and make decisions from that place and that's freedom that's alignment you know
1: sounds like a merging of the body and the mind rather than isolating the two
2: right
0: oh yes they operate you know it's this idea of masculine feminine, right? I believe, um, obviously we both, we both have masculine feminine energies and like the feminine is this feeling, emotional, creative, expressive, imaginative space that's tuned into the wisdom, right? Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. the master plan. The masculine is the container that all of that can operate in. And the masculine is the place that executes, that does, that organizes, that strategizes, that, you know, lays the framework out. And Mm -hmm. so if we want to think of it in that regard, like in my, the way I look at it is the feminine is the neck down. What do I feel? What is the sensation? What does my intuition say? How does this feel in my body? What do I want to create? What do I want to birth? And then from the neck up, is the masculine. Okay. Let's put a framework behind this. Let's, let's like roadmap this out. Right. And we both, we all have access to that. And I think a lot of people kind of get stuck in the neck up and they forget how creative and powerful they are when they tap into that, that wisdom of their body.
1: Mm. Why do you think most people stay in their head a majority of the time?
0: I think people, well, we've been trained, we've been taught to stay there, you know, Um, we are so closed off from what our bodies are telling us, like in so many different ways, we've been shamed to, we've been taught to feel shame about what we feel in our bodies. And I think that we play, we place a lot more stock in right versus wrong. And that's a cerebral process. Mm -hmm.
2: Um,
0: But again, like look at babies, like they don't think about right or wrong, or is this gonna make sense? They just operate from what feels right. And again, I think we've just been taught to disconnect from that. And we put more stock into rational thinking than irrational being or irrational feeling because that's not predictable. It's not controllable. Um, people don't like it when you're not predictable, right? Mm -hmm. So in order to operate in society, we've been taught, we have to think rationally, we have to make smart choices, right. That are going to please other people so that we can be worthy of love so that we can achieve so that we can be accepted. Um, yeah, so it's all a reversion back. And then, and then we spend our whole lives like unwinding all of that, (laughs)
2: so funny yeah
1: the human experience
2: it's wild
1: yeah wow i know i've been leaning more into listening to my intuition my body tuning in through mindfulness and, and meditation and occasionally yoga some time massage and just really like feeling the power of the body is like mm-hmm. realizing what it does for you without you even thinking
2: mm. it
1: it cares so much about you that it beats your heart, that pumps blood to your organs, that allows you to walk Mm. and communicate and all of these things. And when you can just shift your attention to being grateful for those things, then a whole new level of appreciation enters your life. It can slow things down. It can bring new insights. And that allows you to make better, better educated guesses, not because someone else told you so, but because you learned what your own way is.
0: Exactly. Like, think of the wisdom that our bodies have, like, we are little universes, our whole bodies are universes within a, you know, skin suit, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just crazy to think about the wisdom that just is running through us on a regular basis. And we, and we think that we're smarter than that. Like our (laughs) brains are actually smarter than that. It's like, okay, that's, that's funny. That's cute.
1: Yeah, right. (laughs) So crazy. Well, Melissa, thank you for your beautiful mind and all of your insights and wisdoms. It's always a pleasure talking to you and thank you for coming on the show. Lastly, where, where's the best way that they can connect with you and, and get involved?
0: Well, thank you for having me. I feel like we could talk for hours. Like every right. time we get, it's like magic. So thank you for holding the space and inviting me here. I love Instagram. It's my favorite platform. You can find me at the Melissa Martin. You can DM me. I'd love to know if there was something in this episode that spoke to you. Please share it with me. It means so much. I love having deep conversations in the DMs. It's my favorite thing. Connection is my favorite. Connection and experiences is my favorite thing. And then um, if you're a podcaster, you can head over to iTunes and find me there at Boldly Courageous. It's my,
1: mm. my podcast. Awesome. Well, thank you. and
0: Thank you so much for living your boldly courageous life with me today. I am beyond grateful for you and this amazing community we are building together. It's truly my mission to get this message out into the world and empower others to step fully into the life they've always dreamed of.